This episode is sponsored by DevESG. DevESG helps organizations create, capture, certify, and convert ESG assets into real value to solve your plastic, methane, carbon, and energy problems. For more information, visit www.devesg.com forward slash greenbiz. From Green Biz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here in Oakland, California. On this week's edition, how America's new climate bill will change corporate procurement, attracting investors to support your climate tech startup, why the automotive industry may have a labeling problem, and industrial origami and the relocalization of manufacturing. We're above the fold this week on 350. It's August 19th, 2022. Welcome to another episode of Green Biz 350. So glad as always to have you with us and joining me from balmy Midland Park, New Jersey. It's editorial director, Heather Clancy. Hi, Heather. Hey, Joel. It was so good to see you last week. It really was. What a week we had. Uh, just to catch folks up, uh, we came together, uh, 55 or so of us, the Green Biz Group team. Uh, many of us who had not met many people in the company, because we've added maybe 15 people so far this year, came together in Oakland for uh, an offsite at the beautiful historic Claremont Hotel and uh, some uh, nearby venues as well, just to come together and meet one another and uh, talk about our very, very, very aggressive, ambitious growth <laughs> strategy over the next few years. And uh, yeah, and just be together and enjoy one another's company. Um, it was really great. And, and we had a day with just, uh, even before that, one day with just the editorial team. Yeah, it was awesome. And just there's so much going on. It's always uh, very overwhelming after meetings like this to figure out what do I do first? <laughs> you know, how do I what is the action plan? What's the the to do's? You know, you want to make sure you maintain the momentum. But it was great to see everyone interacting. And there's so many uh, potential ways we could be collaborating better. And it's just, you know, it just feels really good. And yeah, those growth plans are, are really aggressive, including for digital, for the um the editorial team. So I'm really excited about yeah. where we're going. Well, it is overwhelming because, as you said, there's so many new products, services, people, platforms, and things that we're going to be launching in the next couple of years. It's really, uh, it's slightly overwhelming, but very, very exciting. And um, yeah, the, I mean, you know, the, the way to not be overwhelmed is just look at the road right in front of you one step at a time. <laughs> and uh, one step at a time for us, is the Week in Review. So, Heather, I heard that there was some climate bill or something that got signed <laughs> this week. I, 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 have, I haven't been keeping up in the news, um, but uh, apparently Congress actually did something about climate. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, I, I have a hard time with the the uh, acronym for this bill for the Inflation Reduction Act, IRA. I keep thinking of Ireland. But or the or individual <laughs> retirement accounts or the Irish, or, uh, Irish or, uh, Repub- yes, Republican yes, exactly. Army. Yeah, either one. <laughs> from yeah. Sure there's several others. I know. Um, but yeah, I mean, how amazing is this that we have a bill that even though it isn't what it was once wanted to be, it is just pretty extraordinary. And I think um, kudos to, you know, actually, it was really interesting. I don't know if you saw the story about how Bill Gates was behind the scenes, um, really pushing on this. And that's like, that just reminds me how important it is for corporations in the in the business world to be really at the table with things like this. And I, I that was a I mean, not that he did it single-handedly or anything, but that was just kind of interesting perspective. Well, he had a key role um, um, behind the scenes in convincing Senator Manchin uh, to to come come over to the bright the light side, <laughs> the light side. But but yeah. what it is, you know, we we talk so much uh, in our world these days about influencers, and they're often young, you know, up and coming hipsters, whatever they are these days. I don't even know what to call them, but they're influencers, and you know, not all of them are young, but most of them are. But we forget that senior executives uh, are in, you know, are influencers and we don't necessarily value them in some ways. And, you know, Bill Gates, who's been, you know, not uh, every environmentalist, uh, you know, BFF that he's pro-nuclear and has put his footing a lot into carbon capture and sequestration, which a lot of folks don't really like, but, um, but he did play an important role there. And yeah, it may have been self-serving. He's got investments in some of the things that may benefit from this. But who isn't self-serving these days? So, uh, so the question is, you know, you don't have to be Bill Gates, but what about you know your CEO or 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 other senior executives, and you know who can be deployed? I think in the future, as we as we you know want to take the next step and maybe buttress or uh, this bill or bring in some of the things that kind of fell off in the sausage making of the uh, of this this not bill this law now. Um, but yeah, influencers uh, come in every stripe. Yeah, I you know, and there's lot, and we've we've got plenty of stories on the site, and we will probably have plenty more stories on the site about what specific things in this um, new law are you know exciting and what were most exciting or notable for the the sustainability community and for climate tech companies. And I just um, I think one of the things for me is just the clarity around um, things like tax credits. And, you know, it, 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 it's been this sort of like every year, every year you have to get this thing. You know, I mean, there's just been so, such uncertainty around whether it would be around. And You're talking about for project, solar and EVs? For anything. Well, yeah. so, I, I mean, it, you know, we've been dealing with the world in which there, they were available for solar um, and wind. But now it's carbon-free electricity, which makes it broader. I mean, I think one of the, one of the most exciting trends I'm watching right now is the geothermal energy that that companies are adopting. Um, I mean, like Google and Microsoft both have significant installations that they're that they're building right now. And now, I mean, I don't know if this this is not going to apply to that because it's the, the, these credits start in 2025, I believe they become car, technology neutral essentially. Um, but I mean, it just great that it recognizes that there's a lot of different electricity sources that could be um, carbon-free. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, it, yeah, to your point that some of these things don't kick in for a while and the EV credit, the $7,500 credit has some made in America provisions that most car makers can't yet meet. I think Tesla and, and General Motors are the only two that do, I, I believe. I may have that wrong, but that, that was my recollection. Um, and um, yeah, but, but you know, how companies buy lots of things uh, is going to be affected by this new law. And that brings us to the piece that Sarah Golden, our senior energy analyst and who chairs the Verge Electrify, wrote this week about um, how the climate bill will change corporate procurement. And she talks about First of all, that clean energy is going to get cheaper. So the calculus on that is going to be a, a, a lot better. There's uh, the long-term extension of the investment tax credit and production tax credits um, that have, you know, as, as you were saying, you know, come and go or almost go until the okay. 11th hour when they're finally renewed by right. some, some very reluctant uh, senators, I think. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the EV piece is... is, is uh, for corporate fleets is going to have, uh, I think, a big impact. That's a supply-demand issue because uh, companies, uh, the automakers can't, even if even if they were made in America, uh, can't supply uh, meet the demand for electric vehicles. Uh, I think this uh, the Ford F-150 pickup that's coming out, Lightning, I think it's called, um, uh, they, the demand for that is is way off the charts, way more than Ford planned. And I think the Chevy Silverado electric uh, pickup truck, similarly, that's a little bit further behind. But uh, the demand is there. And uh, in some ways, we don't really need the tax credit, but it's it's great that it's there because it will uh, accelerate the market even faster. But yeah, there will be a lot more written about procurement here. Um, any, any other th- last thoughts on th- this law before we move on to... Uh, a related story, actually. Yeah, and, and actually, it'll get a little. My comment will get us over to that story, um, and and you're referring to the one by Barton Bedalian, our transportation analyst. Um, the automotive industry may have a labeling problem, and you actually just already brought in one component of it: the electric vehicle versus the zero emissions vehicle, and the differences. And you know, one is not always the other, <laughs> which I, you know, I probably have been guilty of as well. Um, but Barton points out that an all-electric electric vehicle is a zero emissions vehicle, but a plug-in hybrid or a hybrid EV is not. Um, and so there's you know, subtle nuances about how what, what's being supported by um, the, the, the new law and then also by the executive order that uh, Biden signed like a year ago on passenger cars and light trucks and and stating that 50% had to be zero emission vehicles, including, and it actually includes some stuff that isn't zero emissions in in the the language. So Vartan's um, point is, I think, well taken, although I don't know if ultimately it matters. I think just all of the innovations here um, will help. But I just, I thought it was really a, a great just thought piece that made was very thought provoking yeah. for me. Well, it, it does matter, Heather, in in the showroom, mm. uh, and mm-hmm. maybe less mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. with corporate mm-hmm. fleets. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're buying, you know, because those those are more professional uh, procurement folks who know exactly what they want. May even be if they're buying enough vehicles, and they may even be customized to some extent. Um, but in the showroom, where people go and they say, "Oh, is this you know, I want an electric vehicle, or I want a zero emissions vehicle, or you know, whatever it is." 
you know, this the differences can be important. And, and, and there's one there's another wrinkle here. <laughs> and I'm not sure if this is just for California, which, as you well know, is sort of an island, at least in the United States, uh, when it comes to autom- automotive uh, uh, re- regulation around uh, emissions and fuel efficiency and such. My wife drives a, like a 10-year-old Audi station wagon, which is PZEV, P-Z-E-V, which stands for Partial Zero Emission Vehicle. Oh, my God. I mean, what? Uh, I looked it up. Partial. I looked it up. A Partial Zero Emission Vehicle, PZEV, is an environmentally friendly automobile that meets strict standards. These vehicles have zero evaporative emissions, meet tailpipe emission standards, and have generous warranties on emission control parts. That does not sound at all like an electric vehicle or a battery electric vehicle or hybrid electric vehicle. This is an internal combustion engine uh, that uh, is cleaner, I guess. Um, it's, you know, I mean, the cleanest car is the one you don't drive and and, and we put on about 4,000 miles a year on that Audi. So not doing too much harm, but but it it, it, it it's just another term. I just don't understand how the industry is going to claw its way out of this when they're trying to really create a clear message that electric vehicles and maybe plug-ins and maybe some others, but maybe plug-in hybrids, uh, but battery electric vehicles are the future. So Vartan's piece is, is, is interesting. It's fun. It's a little entertaining, but it's, it's a serious matter as mm-hmm. well. Yep, indeed. Well, another serious matter is uh, now that we have all the, this potentially greater demand for so many of these technologies and, and many of the technologies that are encouraged or supported in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act uh, aren't yet to scale, or particularly the carbon sequestration one. But there's lots and lots and lots of other climate tech companies. And, and here we are in this moment, this, uh, I don't know if it's inflation, or there's some inflation, but is it a recession? Is it a breath mint, a candy mint? What is this economy? But funding has for startups is uh, a lot tougher than it was six months ago, let alone a year or two ago. And uh, the investors are just holding on to their money. So there's this piece by Priyanka Srinivas, uh, who's the founder and CEO of something called the Live Green Company, wrote a terrific piece about uh, four entrepreneurs of, of green startups that, uh, you know, how do you address this moment? Yeah, and I, th- I thought it was a, a great piece. She has written a, a, at least one essay, another essay for us in the past. Um, it just, first of all, I think, the the new law will create, I think, maybe a more balanced playing field. But her her point is is that it's not going to be as easy. Um, and the way that you can um, distinguish yourself from other companies that are that are vying for money. And she one of her one of her comments, which I thought was particularly interesting, was that you should focus on um, investors that aren't necessarily focused just on climate. Like I I mean pers. If I was a, a startup founder, I probably would, you know, put them top on my list. But her point is that it's, you know, first of all, like you don't necessarily want to have all those specialized investors. And and secondly, you know, you might have some stricter operational scrutiny with, with more broad uh, or at least different operational scrutiny, let me put it that way, um, that, that helps you as a company and founder get 
you know, get more um, disciplined more quickly. I thought that was just kind of an interesting, you know, making the distinction um, and really understanding who you're talking to. That was one of the the points that she makes um, that I that sort of jumped out me right right away. And, and that's a good thing uh, that because we've you know the landscape has been littered with the carcasses of so many uh, seemingly breakthrough or or disruptive companies that for which the the, the scrutiny did not go far enough. Um, I mean, not just in this is hardly unique to to climate tech uh, or green tech. This was uh, you know goes back to the dot-com days uh, 20 some years ago but um I, I, they should to go under more scrutiny uh, the question is you know how much do you already need to have customers and revenue or how far do you need to be and some of these tech technologies and startups you know need a need a push um but you know one, one of the things i thought was interesting here and, and i don't remember seeing this in you know previous eras of of venture capital is the value of networking. And, uh, you know, I mean, yes, you always have to network, but but just talking about like LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is, um, uh, you know, I've been on it for a long, long time, but just in the last couple of years really warmed up to it in terms of seeing a lot more, let's call it grown-up conversations taking place there than you would see on the Twitter. And, and, and uh, well, those are the only ones I'm on. I'm not on Instagram or uh, TikTok or whatever. Uh, certainly not the one that begins with the F word. Um, but, um, you know, I think that is becoming much more of a, of a valuable commodity for folks and how you use it, not just putting it out there, but really how you use that to not just help promote what you're doing, but also to reach out and, and have more quality connections with people uh, I mean, I'm getting a lot of them incoming to, to me. I'm, I'm sure you are as well, Heather. And, uh, you know, it can be overwhelming and a lot of them are way off off base. But but I do uh, applaud and, and appreciate uh, the efforts they make to to reach out a little bit more. Uh, well, some of them are more customized. They know who I am and what I want. Some of them are a little bit cut and paste. But still, it's, it's an emerging, I think, phenomenon for startups to really be utilizing some of these platforms. So I thought... That was one interesting part of of uh, Priyanka's piece. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's just I love this because it's just uh, from a founder to other founders, you know, and that's the 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 sort of contribution that we really appreciate when folks reach out to the editorial team and say, "Hey, you know, I'd like to write an essay about," and you know, these are the kinds of ones uh, the pieces that are super valuable to the community because they they take your personal experience and she's she's sharing her you know like her life <laughs> and 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 what she's you know she's offering advice to others so i that i really appreciate that the ps that was a big plug for those of you listening like if you ever want to pitch us with an essay like this that's the way to do it Swedish-born industrial designer Tuva Bayer created his first electric bike at age 19, going on to study vehicle design. Throughout his career, he has worked for companies like Saab, BMW, and Electrolux, and many others. Today, Bayer is the co-founder and CTO of Steelfold, which is using robotics to bend, quote, green steel, end quote, into what the company describes as intricate, lightweight, and durable structures. Industrial origami, if you will. 
He joins GreenBiz 350 to talk about the company's vision. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So what was the inspiration for Steelfold? What was there a particular aha moment for you? you you've, you've had this very, you know, great career. Um, what got you over to this place? Oh, uh, it's like I always been interested in production techniques because everything we have around us has been made, you know, in a um, in any production technique. But really, the thing is to to when you do something, you have to think about what you're doing because otherwise you have to play with the technique uh, you use, really. So when it comes to, to sheet metal, then it's really down to, I would say, you have two ways to go. Either you go with the workshop where you fold, bend, and cut, or... If you go the other direction, which is more like when you do uh, steel pressing and stamping sheet, as in as in car, when when you do car uh, bodies, uh, that's a totally different uh, technique. Um, but there is no in between really, because the first one is a bit more uh, straightforward, and it's really uh, I would say it's low refinement, but the the threshold to to enter that uh, bending cutting and and welding is low uh, but on the other hand when you come to stamping it's more of a, a very high uh, threshold to to actually to invest and in all that and in order to get back the investment you have to 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 make uh, very high numbers of, uh, you know produce in high numbers and that's kind of uh, really you start off with with a with a with a high uh, carbon footprint, really. So you're thinking of you know you're pushing for different ways of production, different uh, of course different materials, different approaches. Um, we'll get to the life cycle assessment in a moment, uh, but just to stick with the company for a second, how is the venture being funded? Um, you know what are you uh, bootstrapped? Is it is it all you? You know what's what's the funding model? Uh, we started off as a government fund and, and, and it was just a short, you know, kind of a, to get us out, uh, you know, to, to get some wind in our sails, but investigating you know, really the possibilities with curve folding and all that. And we found out that we had a really, really great, uh, you know, uh, it was a great interest in what we had done and also in particular the scooter itself. So it gave us, you know, we, we, we really found ourselves uh, we could then really believe in what we'd be doing, you know, uh, and uh, kind of set up a business around it and then take in investors and, and kind of find it from there. So as I mentioned in the intro, the first uh, thing you've done, the first application mm. of your approach is an e-scooter. Mm -hmm. you, you seem to like scooters. Ah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, um, it says, compared to a traditional scooter, this, this uh, device requires 70% fewer components and drives a 25% reduction in labor costs and a 20% reduction in material costs, and it's lighter. So tell me about why this is good, and also tell me a little bit more about the... Um, the carbon impact, the environmental impact as a result. Yeah, uh, we were a bit, you know, uh, when we were doing this, uh, investigating the curve folding technique, we were really, you know, we also wanted to do life cycle analysis around this, you know, in order to get some idea what we've been doing. So we had a freestanding uh, partner doing this 
uh, uh, or freestanding company doing this, uh, helping us out with this. And when we got back to result, we were really stunned ourselves, you know, and couldn't really believe it in the beginning. But 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 what what the, the whole thing when you do something, you know, uh, the trick is really to reduce the number of components, uh, the bill of material. Uh, if you can reduce that, and that that's that we can do really, really drastically with with this technique. So, in comparison, for when we make the chassis, uh, we could make the chassis in very few components. So, the first prototype was like fifteen, and then now we're down to uh, eight or ten. Uh, and if you compare that to a traditional scooter, then that's we 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 we, we benchmark. We actually bought two uh, existing scooters. Uh, not mentioning any brands or whatever, but they're class leading. And the interesting thing there was that we just took the batteries in the engine, but then we could also calculate and count all the parts uh, from their chassis. And uh, just in a comparison, they had around 150 plus components. So we we knew that where I felt confident that we were going to be able to reduce the number of components, but not that drastically. And it was uh, really, you know, it's like, uh, it's a bit like a a three-dimensional Sudoku, I would say. I don't know. I don't do Sudoku, so I don't know. But it's a bit of a, you know, to to actually find uh, the best way and, and how to produce. And it's really, really challenging and also something that i enjoy very much to do and but it's no point in doing all this if you can't replicate it in other products as well and therefore we made this whole uh, the whole thing that we do we we call the the technique steel fold which is an umbrella name for different methods within you know steel fold we 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 made our own software in order to design in this way with curve folding because that didn't exist and also, we have done uh, the uh, calculation how how to fold with the robotics, etc., and all that. And also then to nurture an existing value chains as you know, flat sheet metal coming. That's more or less a commodity. You know, you can find flat sheets all over the world. You know, and if you can cut them out in 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 quite uh, ordinary workshops, you know, then you can produce with this technique. And that's why it's so interesting because what you want to do in the end, you want to produce as close to the to the to the end customer as possible, in order to you know to also reduce shipping and all that. Just to clarify, this is a prototype right now, correct? The first one you've seen in the pictures, that's the prototype. We call it the P P one, all right. So the P one was more or less like a, a, a proof of concept, really. Uh, we could experiment and we could do a lot of you know trial and errors uh, errors and uh, on that one and we found a way forward with that one now we're doing the p2 which is still prototypes but yet they that's the actual bike that's going to pre- be produced so the first one will will actually be on wheels the 5th of september mm-hmm. wow okay so i i, I have a i want to go back to the production model in a moment but um just before i go there were there any trade-offs like so you talked about all the components that were in the traditional scooter 
um, were there any design trade-offs that you had to make? And then did you have to source some of the components, you know, from these other places? So like what, I think you mentioned the battery is obviously one example, but that's kind of going to be produced in a traditional way, correct? That, that's, that's actually uh, absolutely right. The batteries, tires, engine, uh, engine controls, etc. all that we source, you know, but, um, we have we have tried to to integrate it uh, in the same philosophy, uh, uh, this sustainable thinking. But their work, uh, but working with the electrical po- components, more of you know, build something that you that can be updated and and renewed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but but going back to the production technique again, if you you were talking a bit about the the trade offs, etc. So yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting because when when you fold something, you know, you only work uh, with single compound surfaces. So what is a single compound surface? So uh, it's something that's only bent in one direction and straight in the other direction. For instance, a cylinder. It's it's a it's a, a cylinder or a cone. Uh, they're only bent and in one direction or rolled, if you want to. Uh, describe it as being rolled you know but you can you can kind of picture it yourself uh, if you go to uh, a sphere for instance that's curved in, in in both directions so it's a double compound surface that we cannot do you know with this technique so yes you can call that a trade-off but what you get with with the curve forming itself is that you can connect and you can direct forces uh, in the structure, from you know, in the bike, you know, we we can we have we have to have strong connections with the suspension and the steering uh, column, for instance. And if you want to build a strong structure from there, you know, just by folding of the straight curves, you know, and then trying to house the battery and all that, then you have to make a, more or less like a, 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 a quite a lot of folds, you know. But with a curve forming, you just you can sweep because it it creates a curve, so you can connect that, and then you can enclose the batteries and all those components components with very few uh, surface elements or um, or or uh, or form elements. I I uh, want to go to the sourcing uh, material sourcing. So you are often using recycled steel. So where do you get this this quote green steel and quote from? Where is it coming from? Yes, when we worked with the prototype and with the Vinova project, the government of farm project it, in Sweden, we it works like you know you have to have a number of players you know to to actually jump on a project. So we uh, we connected with Utokompu, which is a Finnish company, and they uh, make stainless steel out of recycled stainless steel. Uh, so then we can make the bike totally out of recycled stainless steel. And why is that good? Yeah, because steel you can it's you can recycle it infinitely, you know. And stainless, why stainless? Because stainless, we didn't want to uh, do any uh, as little post processes as possible, such as painting, etc. So that's why we would like. That's why we use the, the the chassis just in its bare metal, you know. 
So uh, if you can if you can cut steps, you know, it can also reduce the carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. So you've got this scooter. Um prototype that you're working on what other app what applications do you envision for this approach yeah this is very interesting because we kind of call it the playground for steel fold uh we envision it it's you know more or less like a, a like a matrix or a you know an x-axle on and a y-axle and on the x-axis we have you know from from small to large products maybe you've seen the bridge we done uh like a what if scenario, we have this we have this bridge in, in 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 Sweden that was or in Stockholm that was shipped all the way from China. I don't know, but it's a bit of a kind of hot topic in, in Sweden. And and it's uh, you know what if you could do if you did it in curve fold you know technique in or in steel fold technique. What could that? Um, how could we reduce carbon footprint uh, using that technique? So. So on uh, going back to this matrix I've described, so on the x-axis you have small to large. So small things could be like consoles or things like for for things that you can hold in your hand, you know, and large objects again like the bridge. But on, on yeah, but on the y-axis it's more of a you know if you have totally free form as with a bike, uh, we can change the 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 design of the bike. Just by altering the lines that we when we cut out the uh, the sheet metal itself, you know, so it's pretty much like when you do a suit or whatever, you know, it you can have uh, like uh, different design, but it's still the design is actually when you cut the 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 textile, you know, that's how you that's when you create the design, and. Um, so it's the same thing here, you know, with the bike. If we, we we would like to have a higher seat post, we could just alter the line, you know, and then and uh, and then fold it in another way. So that we can do together with the robotic uh, arms, you know, like standard uh, robotic. Uh, what do you call them? You know, like robotic arms, yeah, like you industrial uh, robots. And on the other hand, you know, uh, we have. If you do, if you make a console, you know that you want to make in a number of hundreds of thousands, you know, then it's more of a, you know, um, you repeat, for instance, a folding scenario, but you still just repeat over a curve fold, because the, when you fold over a curve, you will have a very precise end result, and you will have the same result all over again. You know, it's a bit. This is much more easy to describe when you have a curve fold model and hold it in your hand and you 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 experience it yourself, you know. Uh, but you just have to trust me there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. So one last question: what What's next? What's What's the next milestone? What's the next uh, thing you need to accomplish with steel fold? We we now really we're really now into the uh, to to. Um, uh having the, the the getting the machine yeah not the machines but getting the the robotic arms to perform the way we we uh, want to do uh so that we need to uh, uh, affect and also the idea here is really to 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 with this steel fold tool the digital tool you know the CAD application 
the idea that we have there is to to have it more free and open source you know in order for for people to start to to uh, to use this tool you know and and see what they can do you know so have a bit more open source uh but we wanted to care also about the manufacturing side you know so because in the end and and this is very uh, important to remember you know the the real assets with this technique is that if we is when we can design something in 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 CAD and the outcome becomes exactly what we design in CAD it's like with every production techniques that's the same thing but uh, we we that's what we work with right now you know in order to to actually mi- minimize you know the, the deviation of a CAD file and the final result Great. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast. I hope I could answer some questions. <laughs> and that's our 350 podcast for this week. As always, go to greenbiz.com slash 350 to find more about the organization, stories and events we've mentioned. And while you're over on the site, check out our seven free weekly newsletters. They're a great way to stay up to date all week long. Just go to greenbiz.com newsletters to sign up. We welcome your comments, your questions, your tips, your anything you got. Just hit us up at 350 at greenbiz.com. Heather and I will be back next week with another edition of Green Biz 350. Until then, from all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. We'll see you next time. This episode is sponsored by DevESG. DevESG helps organizations create, capture, certify, and convert ESG assets into real value to solve your plastic, methane, carbon, and energy problems. For more information, visit www.devesg.com forward slash greenbiz.